Welcome back to Refocused with Lindsay Gensel. What you're listening to today, it's a little bit different than the podcast episodes we've shared with you before. This episode, This Person's Story, is a part of Refocused Together, a special series the team at ADHD Online and I have been working on for ADHD Awareness Month. Every day throughout the month of October, we'll be sharing a different person's ADHD story, which is fitting because the theme for ADHD Awareness Month this year is understanding a shared experience. And I can't think of a better way to really get a sense of that shared experience than by telling a different story every single day. And to be clear, yes, that's 31 stories in 31 days. My name is Lindsay Gensel, and along with the team at ADHD Online, I'm so excited to present Refocus Together, a collection of stories aimed at raising awareness on just how complex ADHD is and the different ways it shows up in people's lives. When we share stories, it's easier to find the perspective, ideas, and tips that help us live our best lives. I'm interviewing people with varying backgrounds, diagnoses, experiences, and perspectives. We'll hear from working parents, advocates, engineers, writers, PhD candidates, and more to learn that while we may be different, we are all united by our own ADHD journeys. This special project is very near and dear to my heart, and although talking to 31 different people has been a lot of talking. I am so grateful for each person who shared their story with me, and I cannot wait for you to meet my guests and get to know them. Be sure to subscribe to Refocus with Lindsay Gensel so that you don't miss a single story this month. And with that, let's get on to today's episode. When you ask Sarah DeMeo about being diagnosed with ADHD in 2018, she'll tell you that it all came together in parts. Burnout from corporate life and a grueling bout of rumination led to a late night Google search about the signs of ADHD in women. As if someone had turned on a light of awareness, Sarah knew deep down in her bones that this was what she was experiencing. And she immediately sought out a psychiatrist who specialized in ADHD. Two weeks later, she showed up for her first appointment, and after Sarah described her symptoms, the doctor went about his diagnosis a little differently. He prescribed Adderall first to see if it calmed her down and smoothed things out. Despite seeming a bit cart before the horse, Sarah cautiously and curiously tried this unexpected approach, and the chatter inside her head was gone an hour after taking her first pill. That peacefulness she felt directed her to pursue a more conventional diagnosis with her primary care provider and more tests to find out that she had combined type ADHD. Now Sarah views her life through this new lens, giving herself permission to learn to love and accept herself unconditionally. And instead of feeling failure and frustration, she now feels like a whole person who is genuinely starting to celebrate her unique mind and talents. I'm so excited to introduce you all to today's guest on Refocus Together, Sarah DeMeo. Sarah. 
Sarah, I am so excited to chat with you today to learn a little bit more about your story and how your own ADHD diagnosis kind of plays out in your life. So thank you for being willing to share it with us on Refocus Together and for joining our ADHD Awareness Month interview series. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me and for opening this up. It's a wonderful gift for everybody to hear everybody's stories. It's been so wonderful for me to just hear everyone's different stories because every single time I talk to somebody, I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Or, oh my gosh, that's so wonderful. I have to write that down so that I remember to try that in my own routine. It's just, it really has been just like this crash course in learning. And so getting to bring it to so many people has felt really awesome because I'm a helper. I love helping people. That's really where I feel like I thrive. And so just getting to do it feels pretty awesome. But I ask everyone to start at the beginning of their own ADHD journey, what your diagnosis was like, what led to it, and you know anything that you want to share from that time period. Sure, sure. So I was diagnosed at age 37, late diagnosed. A big challenge for me has always been my career. So I decided to go to college a week before college started and then quit a year later because it was easier for me to work, right? And then I just kind of just progressed through my career over the next 15 years in retail, had kids, had to quit that, jumped over into corporate life, which was a whole nother can of worms. And you know, I learned so much, but what I found was I was just taking on all of these things and not dropping anything. Like you can give me any task, anything in business, and I will know how to do it. Marketing, sales, operations. I got you, right? But what that leads to is burnout and a deep, deep it was like I had this crisis of identity and I ended up being so burnt out. I actually quit my job with nothing back in 2015 and had no idea what I was doing and just started like people started coming to me and I started saying yes to things. Right. And all of a sudden I'm doing contracting for three different companies and I'm building websites and I'm doing sales and I'm maintaining these systems. Right. And building these systems. And in 2018, I had to let two of them go, but I was still finding myself just in this place of like, deep self-hate. I was giving everything to these jobs, but still wondering like, what the hell was wrong with me? Why couldn't I just be happy? Why couldn't I just do a job? You know, this went on for, I mean, really, truly years, this sort of like self-hate. And it was like three o'clock in the morning one day and I'm ruminating RSD, Google hell hole. And up pops this like signs of ADHD in women. And I'm going to cry because it was like, that was the moment that I saw myself. And I was like, holy shit, this is me. Everything, every single thing on that list. And I think I included it in my questionnaire to you was me. And so I told my husband, I was like, babe, I really, I really think I need to pursue this. And I made an appointment with a psychiatrist. Luckily, this is back in 2018. So it was before everybody like knew about this, right? This was like, I had no idea that, you know, it would blow up the way that it has. But so I met with the psychiatrist and, and I just told him, I'm like, this is what happens. This is what's happening to me. And he looked at me and he's like, holy shit. (laughs) 
He's like, are you kidding me? And I was like, no, I'm not. And he's like, he's like, well, are you, you know, do you have anxiety? And I was like, listen, bud, I get anxious sometimes, but I, I wouldn't say I have anxiety. And he's like, are you sure it's not, are you sure you're not depressed? And I was like, I know what it feels like to be low, but I would say that my state, my normal state is joy. I'm like, so I don't, those labels don't truly fit me. And he's like, all right, listen, he said, Sarah, you can go and you can get on a list and you can wait a year and a half to take this test for 1500 bucks. Or he said, I can give you a prescription today and here's how it will work. If you feel like hyped up and ready to go that you don't have ADHD. And he's like, but if you feel calm, if you feel quiet, he goes, then it's ADHD because it's a disconnect between the two sides of your brain, right? So it's it's connecting the two. And I was like, oh God, I'm like, are you sure I can't do it with diet? Are you sure I can't just get a new planner? He's like, listen, he's like, those things can definitely help support. He goes, but the true real support is going to be trying this medication. And so I did. And Lindsay, it was like lunchtime. I came home and I sat down at my desk and I'm doing multiple things like I normally do, right? I'm I'm still able to do this, but I looked up about an hour into it and I was like, I don't hear any voices. Like, I don't hear like this mind chatter. It was like still and quiet and calm. I never even realized I had had mental chatter before that. It was so part of me. So anyway, that's that's my diagnosis story. And um, back in 2020, November of 2020, I decided to pursue a formal diagnosis. Still off the charts. I think I scored 100% on inattentive type and a little over 50% on hyperactive. But my hyperactivity isn't as much physical as it is mental. It's always going. So anyway, that's my diagnosis story. And right after my diagnosis, I joined an ADHD coaching and I've had a lot of supports and different things along the way. I'm so fascinated that you were ahead of the game for all of us who, you know, the pandemic was that push, you know, you found your push. Yeah. Whatever reason the stars aligned and you saw that and you had that moment of going, okay, I need to look into this. For most of us, it came in the middle of the pandemic. So I'm curious how you were able to do during the pandemic. And I say do, and I mean like, what was it like for you? Because you knew what you were up against in the sense of having a better understanding of how your brain worked. Yeah, yeah. So I would say that for the most part, it was really okay. And at work, it was able to utilize some of my best strengths, which is like figuring out how to handle change and how to adapt and how to do stuff. So, you know, our sales, we used to be in person and it was like, no, we're moving to virtual. No, we're going to put this, this presentation together. No, we're going to, we're going to target K-12 schools, right? Because this is what, this is what they need, right? But ultimately I burned out. And so in September of 2020, I had just gone in to like get a basic root canal and it got infected and like took over my face. So I was so stressed out that I was hospitalized for two days, about to turn 40. And I'm like, Sarah, what the fuck are you doing? Like literally, what are you doing? And so I put everything on pause and I just took care of myself and I ended up quitting my job. <laughs> I ended up just being like, Sarah, you can't, you cannot do this. anymore. why are you doing this? You don't care about this anymore. You can't care more about it. You can't push your ideas forth anymore. 
Do you feel like in that moment there was like this realization that maybe you hadn't been doing exactly what you wanted to be doing? Oh, a hundred percent. Are people pleasing? Oh God. And 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 this ability, right? This ability for us people with these big brains, right? To do so many things and to have to be kind of seeking that dopamine and like getting like it feels good to be able to do so many things until it doesn't. Yep. So then November, you sought out some ADHD coaching. So tell me a little bit about what you've been doing since and how you feel like you've changed from September of 2020 to now. So actually the ADHD coaching came back in 2018. I did ADHD rewired with Eric Tivers and that was really helpful in understanding like things like time blindness, <laughs> you know, just some of these tendencies that our brains have, right? But between like then and now, it's really been about, I think the biggest battle, battle may not be the right word, but the biggest learning for me is that the most important piece of this ADH journey is learning how to love everything about myself and how to appreciate like all these things that I've thought are wrong with me or like didn't fit in or were different than other people, those are my gifts. And I think that that's true for every single one of us with these in general, for everyone. So just to be able to like more deeply see this as time goes on and how to love myself and even the fact that sometimes my house is messy or to just love those things and know how I work. Self-understanding is the key. And career-wise, how has your diagnosis changed your life? So, so yeah, so I, I quit my job and I had this was always, I've always been really, really interested in humans and work. It makes sense, right? This is, this is like my biggest challenge, how important it is for us to do work that we love to do with people that we love to do it with. And I have a friend who has a recruiting company. And so I did some recruiting with her for a little bit. And then I was like, you know, I don't really want to do that, but I'd love to help you grow your business. So let me like put your website together. And so I did that. <laughs> just over time, it's kind of like blossomed into, you know, I, I love to work with business owners. And the first thing that I do is I, I want them to have a business that looks and feels like them and that they can like feel good about doing what they do every day. And so first I help them tell the story of themselves and then I help them tell the story of their business, literally create a book about it. I love it. It's pretty cool. It's my own thing. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. But but I love it. And is it a part of the draw that every business is different and every story is different and you're constantly being challenged in new ways? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's so interesting to me because I think that when people come to me, they're at this like pivot point right? Where they're like kind of tight because it's so easy for us to like just do what people tell us to do and over inundate ourselves and get burnt out. But they have this like, like this dream or this desire to grow in this way or leave some of these people behind, but they don't know how to do it. And so I help them like reconnect with that part of themselves and then build from there. Let's go back before your diagnosis. And you've had a little bit of time to reflect and kind of look back on things and, and probably ruminate because we all love to do it. When you look at your life and areas where you can see kind of the ADHD coming up to the surface and how it was affecting you. 
what stands out is like the really frustrating stuff, the stuff that you look back and you're like, that would have been so different, or this would have been not as hard for me, or I would have not gone down that path. And like, what is it for you when you look back that maybe comes out in a negative way? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that there's like, yeah, it can be some pretty shaming thoughts, right? If I would have known that this was a thing, would I have, you know, would I have gone to school, right? Would I have, uh, I don't know, Lindsay, you know, it's so, it's so, so interesting. It's just like, for me, it's just a self-acceptance of the way my mind works. Because I'm looking back now, like even the college degree thing, it's like, I I didn't want to be in a room with a bunch of people, right? And so it was, in some ways, I was honoring myself. So I think what I would relieve would be the beating myself up about it. So not so much the not doing things, but it's the years I spent beating myself up over it. That's what I would change. And that list, you know, you had gone through the list online and there were things that stood out of on the connections between ADHD and women. And what were some of the things that you went, oh, like the light bulb moment of making those connections? Oh, gosh. I mean, things like the house being a mess and not wanting people to come over or like forgetting appointments and, oh, that's a big one, right? Just kind of this existential feeling that you are different than other people and not fitting into groups and not, right? I don't know. You could just look at the list and you can... Maybe I should. I I should have looked at it before I got on the call with you. But I mean, I just remember feeling so seen. There were places in that where I have like around money and that sort of thing, where those have been problems in the past, but I like fanatically manage my money now. Like I have to have like these supports that I cannot, that becomes my hyper focus, right? Make sure that things are okay. And so let's touch on those because you did talk a little bit about taking your medicine and and those that first day and that feeling of going like, oh my gosh, it's so quiet. And I didn't know that this was something I was dealing with. What are some of the supports that you've put in place and how are you able to kind of keep them going? Because I think that's a struggle for a lot of people. We know what we're supposed to do, but it's getting into the routine of actually making them happen. Oh boy, that's a big one. So first of all, I think having my own business is really important because I don't have meetings before 10 unless it's like required. And so that allows me to have my mornings to go for a run every day, to journal, to meditate and to plan my day. I mean, I have this planner that I actually created so that I could take care of myself. You know what I mean? That has like 30 minute time blocks and like things I'm grateful for and splits my life into buckets so that I can make sure I'm taking care of all of the parts of me. I love it. Yeah. So, so I think that's a big part. And then doing what I really love to do versus feeling like doing something that other people want me to do. I mean, there's always a balance, right? Life is 80 or 50, 50. We have to do things that we don't love sometimes, but to minimize that amount has been hugely beneficial for me. I'm curious when you look at your life and what stands out as areas you thrive in and if there are certain ones that you connect back to your ADHD. And I know you are at this amazing place with self-acceptance of how it comes out of you, you know, like how it shows up in your life. And that's incredible. And that's like, I think such a gift for you. And it's such a great reminder of how important it is to just like, yep, this is it. And I'm going to embrace it. But what are, you could use the word your superpowers or where do you see yourself 
thriving because of your ADHD? Yeah, I think that where I thrive with with my ADHD is really in my ability to connect with people. I mean, I have like the most amazing people in my life and I continue to meet more and more. And it's like there's this feeling of loving who I am that then becomes uh, contagious to the people that I get to have in my life. And so I would say I'm I'm thriving in that I am choosing to do what lights me up and to be a little weird about it and not hide anymore. I think those are the big, those are the big things It allows me to love my family better. It allows me to love my life. And I'm curious because I know from my own experience that sometimes it's so easy to do what you think you're supposed to be doing. And how has kind of kicking that concept to the curb benefited you? Oh, girl. Well, let me just tell you, last year I was like, I mean, here's the thing about self-employment and like doing something that's your own thing is you are going to come face to face with every fear that you could have. And a big one is like the fear of not contributing, not working. Right. And so last year I actually went and I got a job and it was amazing and I loved it. And I put together like this whole project management system for a leadership team and they were wonderful people. But at the end of the day, like four months later, I was like, Sarah, you can't do this. Your business wants you, you know? So I think, and, and I still fall into that trap where I'm like, I could just go get a job, just do something. And there's this, there's this part of inside of me. That's like, every time you do that, you die. <laughs> A little bit. So I still wrestle with those though, right? Because it society does want us to like fit in. You know, I'm at a point in my business where I'm like in the middle, like I'm not hugely successful, but I'm also not just a baby business. So it's 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 an in-between phase. And that's scary. It's really scary. It's really scary, but there's also, I think you probably feel this way because I feel this way. It's scary, but the greater fear is what if you stayed in the job? And you didn't come back to your business. And and then what? Oh my God. I can't. It's it's like I can't abandon myself anymore. I can't. Like something physically stops me. And it's like, Sarah, no, what do people need to know? Right. And so I think too, like me having these experiences and loving myself and choosing myself through them is also really helpful in my work. How has it changed you as a mother? As a partner, how has knowing more about your brain kind of changed the relationships in your life? As a mother, I think it's, I have a really, really deep sense of empathy for my girls and how they work. And I look and I see who they are and what's important to them, right? And I try my best to nurture that and not get super frustrated. Although my younger one, there's always challenges with that, but But I see her and my husband, like I would say, our relationship continues to get better over time. I see how we work together and we're we're learning how to be patient and kind to each other in this hecticness that we have. So the word I was thinking was empathy because I feel that way, too. You know, I'm constantly telling people like if they miss an appointment with me or, you know, they're running late or something happens like the apologies. It's like, you don't need to apologize to me. I have apologized enough in life. I have felt that shame. I have felt that awfulness. Like it is, it doesn't belong here. 
I'm good. Yes. And it took so much to get to that point. But it's like, if I can put that out to somebody else, because it was never given to me, that feeling of like, oh, I am just the greatest disappointment to everyone. I, nothing is good enough. And so like to be able to give it back, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, we're doing this. Yes, yes. Yes. And, and it's like, okay, you know, if they're really frustrated or scared or nervous about something, I'm like, okay, let's, let's connect back. Right. What is it that you want? Right. So you can sit here and you can stir and stew, or you can go ask for help. What does that look like? And then walk them through the steps of that so that they can feel confident in their ability to do that. My girls, they thrived during the pandemic and remote learning because they asked for help and they learned how to trust themselves which is pretty cool. Very cool. It's also like a reminder of how every generation kind of has its own thing and how we are also responsible for stopping the bad stuff from continuing. And I say bad and meaning I don't mean like that just bad things happen, but like sometimes no action is bad. Mm -hmm. And sometimes forcing action is bad. Yes. And so how do you know? It's like, am I forcing this or not? You mentioned money, which is something that I think so many of us can relate with. I was terrible with money. I still think I'm terrible with money. It is just such a foreign concept to me. And we also don't talk about it or learn about it until it's too late. So I'd love it if you could just talk a little bit about some of the things that you've noticed about your relationship with money the more you learn about your ADHD. I have to think on this, right? I think in the past, like when I, you know, got my first jobs at 15 and right, you would just spend it all and get, get credit cards and then max them out and never pay them. (laughs) And then just kind of struggle. I think in my life, we were at a point where we were like, about 12 years ago now, we were like $15,000 in debt. And I discovered Dave Ramsey in the snowball effect. And we did the envelopes for like a year. And then now I have a spreadsheet that that tracks it all. So my relationship with money, I have to be really, really thoughtful before I spend anything because I have a fear that I can go back to that. But I still love it. I, I think it's a tool and I love to have what I want, but I also balance that now because I know how quickly it can disappear. Well, and that's a part of it. And I also think too, you know, with the credit cards and I've tried to figure out the connection to it. And it's like, it's like, it's invisible. You spend money that's not there. Like, it's not like you have cash in your hand and you have to budget what is there. It's just so easy. And I also think we don't understand kind of the ramifications of certain things until they happen. And then it's the shame and then it's the disappointment. And so it's like, we're already 10 steps behind before we even start dealing with it. Yeah. Like I said, that, that money is an area where I feel like I have, I have more of a control, but that's because I was so out of control for so long and I had to like rein it in. How do you find clients and how do you decide who you want to work with? Because I imagine that that's a big part of why you like working for yourself is you get to be very specific about where you're putting your energy. Yeah, it's interesting. So have you heard of human design? No. Oh, God. It's my favorite. It's a tool that I use. I discovered it 
right around the time that I was diagnosed with ADHD. It's, it's life-changing, but, um, how do I find clients is I find them, I, I'm very, very lucky to develop relationships with people. Like it's part of my design to connect closely with people one-on-one. For me, it doesn't make sense for me to like try and push or force even find clients. Like that energy is bad for me. It's about just showing up as myself and then the right people are drawn to that. And then that sounds weird. And it's not like my doors are being knocked down yet, but I feel it. And how do you set your self-worth in that situation? Because I think that that's also something that a lot of us struggle with. Like, how do you say like, this is what my time is worth. This is what my energy is worth. This is what my ideas are worth. Oh gosh. You know what, Lindsay? I am still learning that. But as I've been doing it more, people are like, oh, this is like more than fair. You should probably be charging more for this, like for what we get. I'm not fully there yet, but I'm I'm paying attention. And so I think that's the thing is like, how does it feel when you're doing it? How much energy are you actually exerting? And what kind of results are the people that work with me getting? How do they feel when I'm done? That matters. And I'm not here to like tell people how to do things. I'm here to help them see themselves so that they can do them in a way that feels good to them so that it's not pushing. I I think that the stuff that we're sold, like that you need to have a six figure business and I have seven figure business and I did it this exact way, I think is kind of bullshit. And it's like, no, who are you? (laughs) What's important to you? What do you want? And then how can we build that? I'd love to ask a little bit more on where you see yourself thriving and how you kind of set your, almost like your mantra of like what your purpose is in life and like how you came to that conclusion and how you protect it. Because you mentioned like you like doing a lot of other things. You like being able to jump into anything and do it. But that takes away from like your your little bubble, your little cushion of where you know you're happiest. So how do you protect that? And and again, like how did you come to like set that and go, this is me, this is what I'm doing? Oh, Lindsay, it is a lot of baths. <laughs> I know that sounds really silly, but you know, I've had people from my past work come to me and ask me to to do work for them. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't. I like I just can't even though like the financial rewards would be there. Saying no to something immediately to choose my happiness is a work in progress. It's scary. And I just I I just consistently come back to my heart and my gut on those things. And it's like, because I know what it feels like to feel bad when I'm working and I know what the result of that is for me. And that is a deep, deep burnout and self-abandonment. And I just can't do that anymore. I can't. As much as like the parts of me that want to fit in with society tell me that I should, I can't. But every time I do that, I get a little bit stronger. I love that you said that because I'm thinking of like a long list of things that I need to go and say no to that I have been letting happen. And like, you're right. Every time you say yes, or you convince yourself that it's benefiting you in a certain way, or that you're growing from one of the aspects of it. Like when you said, like, I think of when I'm doing that and I hate it and I feel the exact same way. Like it takes away from what I want to be doing. And 
It's also the fear of like disappointing people. But what's worse, disappointing them or disappointing me? And like, we don't talk about that enough. We we don't. And I, and I cannot, I physically, my body cannot handle disappointing myself anymore. I can't. And when I do, I feel like I'm letting other people down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I feel like for those of us who are on this journey of like learning how to be ourselves, right? Like that's kind of like my, if I were to write a book, which I'm thinking about, it would be the life-changing practice of being yourself because it is not easy. It's not easy. And it, it comes up in so many different ways. I was just thinking about, I hate making Instagram reels. I don't enjoy doing TikTok videos. If I saw something that was really cool and I wanted to share it, yeah. But this whole like idea of allowing this market of social media to control how I build my career, I was like, why am I doing this? I don't enjoy it. There are people who are great at it, who enjoy it, who thrive on it. Amazing. Like, go for it. That's just not me. But I was buying into this idea and you went back and you said it, like that there's only one way to do things. How many times do we have to be reminded that that's not the case in order to get out of our own way? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Like, here's the thing too, is like the algorithm is such bullshit. So it's like, what, what's your purpose for doing it? Right. So for me, I actually love to make reels from time to time. And I love to post on Instagram from time to time, but I don't do it for views or likes or anything like that. I have this inspiration and I want to share it today. And I hope that it benefits one person, but I do not really care about, I think, I think it's learning how to, to, it's it's a learning, it's a practice, learning how to take your worth away from views or likes because they don't care. But it's it's a sharing of yourself. What do you want the people who look at you to know, right? And to me, that's that's the authentic truth of it. But if you're not feeling authentic, then don't do it. Literally don't do it. But it is scary. It is very scary. I mean, that is something that a lot of people come to me about. They're like, oh, I love watching you on there. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? Like, I feel like you're talking to me. I'm like, well, yeah, I, if you're that person, then I guess I am, right? If that. Yes. Yeah. And then it, you know, then you think of the accounts, like, why are there accounts that I like more than others? And it's like, oh, because they feel like they are their authentic self. And that's why I'm connecting with it. You know, it's just, it's, it's so interesting to me again. But again, it's not something that's just isolated to social media. It's saying yes to things that you don't want to do. And, and yeah making up in our heads, you know, how it's going to benefit us. And because that is easier than setting boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. So I have, I have my own perspective on boundaries that I've developed over time. And it's not for me, boundaries isn't about what you're keeping out of your life, but it's about what you're allowing in. So like, I only have room in my life right now for work, for people who make me feel good and who I feel like myself around. And if that's not you, it's not, it's not, there's not a fortress here, but you're on the other side of that. I still love you. Yeah. But I only have time for yes anymore. Yeah, totally. I, yeah. And it's hard to get there. It's hard to get there and it's hard to stay in that moment because we're constantly being pulled out. Like, it's just like, nope. Nope, you can't do that. You're not supposed to do that, but too much. Yeah. Oh, God. How much do you waver between being too much and not enough? Our poor hearts. 
our poor hearts. And I think, you know, it's so interesting as, and I don't want to say that men don't deal with this, but I think it's just the number of women I know who at some point were told and probably were told multiple times by multiple different people, you're too much, you're too loud, your personality's too big, all of those things. And I think of all of us who allowed somebody else's opinion to affect us. And then I see women who I I saw, I met a woman the other day and I was like, oh, you are so much. And I am so happy that you made it through that like somebody didn't get to you and maybe they did. And you had the capacity to say, oh no, oh no. Because there's so many of us who I can think back to every single moment in life you know, you kind of said like your middle ground right now. You're like, I'm not a massive business, but I'm not a new business. I'm in this middle ground. And I think of all the times where I felt like I was there and I was going to the next one. And there was somebody who came in and for whatever reason, whatever they said or they did, and it was targeted at me. And I went, okay, learn your place or however you want to describe it. And it's just like, we're not doing it anymore. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. Yeah. But like also how... Good for you. Good for me. And and how important it is to like surround ourselves with people who are doing that too. <laughs> so I think like this community piece is really important. And you're doing that as you build your podcast. And as you talk to more people, you are creating that. And I thank you. Well, thank you. I mean, gosh, the energy you put out, like it's no nonsense in this very like matter of fact. And I think like we just, as a society, like we cringe at anyone who knows what they want and aren't flexible. And it's like, well, it's not like we're asking you if you want cheese on your cheeseburger. It's like, how do you want to live your life? Who, who are you? <laughs> who do you want to be? The What I have here on my desk, and it's a question I ask myself, and it makes me cry, but it's how can I be of utmost service to the world while I am alive? That's my job. I think that's everybody's job. But I don't think that everybody has the ability to look at it. And that's fine. But for those of us who are, that's our work (laughs) is figuring that out. What's pushing you forward right now? What's on the horizon that you're excited about? What, you know, is getting you out of bed every morning? (sighs) I pinch myself on the daily. Like, is this really my life? Do I really get to do this? And every day it tells me, yes, you do. So that's what's pushing me forward. That's what's getting me out of bed. It's like, who can I talk to, right? And who needs a little help, right? Who needs a little encouragement? And the truth is we all do. To know that I have a gift that I can share and I can help people see that and then they can have immediate impacts in their life. Like, yes, please. That's what gets me up in the day. That's what keeps me going. If there is one thing that you wish the general population understood better about ADHD and some of the things that we all deal with, is there anything that comes to mind or anything that you wish we were working harder to change the narrative around? I wish people could feel what it feels like (laughs) to be so wonderful in so many ways and like the pain of that self-judgment for not fitting in and then people like trying to to push that. I wish people could feel that pain and really know how awful it is. For people with ADHD, what I would love them to know 
is that you are perfect. And the way that your brain works is exactly what the world needs. And how can you love yourself more and better? I don't think that the rest of the world necessarily can understand that. But if I did have a message for the rest of the world, it'd be, it would be to say, how can you work with those things, right? So for me, all everything comes from a self-understanding, understanding how we work, understanding what time means to us, understanding how our feelings operate, understanding what we're great at. And then that way we can be very clear. I don't know. That sounded like a bunch of bullshit. So I feel like I feel like the pain for us people with these neurodivergent brains is when we're trying to fit into this world or trying to make them accept us. I mean, isn't that kind of what it always feels like? I'm kind of coming to like this thing where it's like, do we want to be accepted by that or do we want to create something new instead? I don't know the answer to that, Lindsay. And I think that's why I'm talking around it. Well, I don't know if there is an answer to that, but I also think in so many ways in life, we're realizing that just because the way we did things before is the way it was being done is not the way it has to continue. Right. And, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess it's true. Like there, we, we can be great in groups and it's like, how can you, where do you see the strengths in the people, right? Look for the strengths and utilize those things because when we're operating in our strengths, that is where we're the most powerful. And where we have an understanding of maybe where we're where we're weak and how we can work with that or how we can utilize things in different people to pull those things out, that's a big deal. Because damn, we have some really creative brains and lots of ideas and adaptability and things that we can change, right? This was so amazing, Sarah. I just I'm gonna cut out some of the stuff you talked about where you were like, nope. This is what I want. This is what I'm doing. And I'm going to just like save it in my phone for those moments when I feel myself starting to say yes to things. I just thank you so much for sharing your experience and sharing your acceptance and enlightenment and like the energy that you are putting out. And like, it is a great reminder that it, it is possible to have that. It makes me like, just want to go dive into everything that I've been putting off because I thought that it was what I was supposed to be doing. So like for that, I'm, I'm so thankful, but I'm just, thank you for this, this lovely conversation for, for being so honest and and candid. Yeah. Thank you, Lindsay. And, th- and really thank you for starting that. It's such an important conversation to have. There are so many people to thank for making Refocus Together happen. The entire team at ADHD Online, Zach Booker, Dr. Randall Duttler, Tim Gutwald, Keith Brophy, my teammates Keith Boswell, Suzanne Spruitt, Claudia Gotti, Melanie Mile, Paul Owen, Kirsten Pip, Sissy Yee, Trisha Merchandani, Lauren Radley, Corey Kearney and Mason Nelly and the team at Dexia, Hector and Kenneth and the team at Snack Media, Cameron Sterling and Candace Lefke, Camilla Eden, Lauren Terry, Sarah Galbard, Phil Rodeman, Jake Beaver, and Sarah Platinitis. Our theme music was created by Louis Inglis, a songwriter and composer based in Perth, Australia, who was diagnosed with ADHD in 2020 at the age of 39. 
To find out more about Refocus Together or to share your story with me, head over to ADHDonline.com and check out the ADHD Awareness Month page, which highlights this project as well as each day's episode after they've been released. You can also find out more by following along on social at Lindsay Gensel and at Refocus Pod.